Good evening. This is Talking Sports with Evan. Coming to you a little earlier than I thought I would. I am uh, was thinking to be a little bit later. I had a medical pr- uh, test I needed to get done this evening. Uh, chest CT follow up to my uh, pulmonary embolism uh, just to see how things are going and early indications are things are looking decent. So. Being that I'm home earlier than I thought, I figured I would get you started sooner than I thought as well. And uh, pretty fun show here tonight. Uh, had former Packer offensive lineman Mike Wall join me earlier today for an interview. And I will be playing that back for you here this evening in tonight's episode of Talking Sports with Evan. Unfortunately, the topic wasn't fun. Uh, it was I would rather have been talking about the Packers in the playoffs against the the San Francisco 49ers and getting his opinion on that game. But unfortunately, that didn't work out. The Detroit Lions beat Green Bay 20-16 to in a game that was uh, just very disappointing to watch. And it's it sucks and it's disappointing. And uh, I will be going in more depth and in detail about what happens. Um, with the Packers moving forward, but um, I'm going to, you know, I know the reason why most of you are tuning in or coming in because you want to hear what Mike Wall had to say. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and get you the interview with Mike Wall and you can listen to what he had to say earlier today. We talked about the Packers 2022 season, looking ahead to 2023 talked a little bit about his time in Green Bay and just uh, how things changed once uh, when he left from Green Bay to Carolina and one of the big things that was important in each situation. So with that said, I hope you all enjoy the time I spent here uh, today talking with Mike Wall. Thanks for time here with me to talk about this unfortunate, uh, disappointing ending to a well, I guess relatively disappointing season by the Green Bay Packers this season. Yeah, glad to be here. It'll be a, it'll be a fun discussion. There's certainly this is certainly a, a departure from the norm, especially in the Aaron Rodgers era. So, this yeah, is the first time this is the first time that Matt Lafleur and his staff have really seen some adversity. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. Yeah, no, I guess before I get into that, um, I mentioned a former Green Bay Packer, and I just want to add that. Um, in my opinion, I'm sure I'm not the only one that has this opinion, probably a member of probably the best offensive line the Packers have really had with uh, you, Tauscher, Clifton, Rivera, and Flanagan. Just kind of, I guess, kind of quick talk about that experience playing in Green Bay and with that group of guys. And uh, obviously you couldn't reach the ultimate prize. And unfortunately, only one team gets to do that every year. But just kind of talk about that experience. Yeah, playing in Green Bay is fantastic. I think getting drafted there, uh, in 1998, you just don't really know what you're getting into. You don't know how special it is. Uh, um, I was actually, you know, I'm from a California kid, and, and I, I, to be honest with you, I was a big football, you know, college football fan at the at the, at the time. I didn't know a lot about pro football. I mean, I, I you know, it was, it was a different time back then. There wasn't there wasn't internet. There wasn't, you know, you followed kind of the regional fans. So I knew all about the L back then, the LA Rams, LA Raiders. But when I remember when I come to Wisconsin, I was just so lucky that uh, not only that Mike Holmgren was a great coach and, and he'd been there for a while, had a great leadership style, he was a teacher first, but also you think about that locker room and I'm walking into a locker room with with you know, Reggie White, you're walking with Leroy Butler, Santana Dotson, Gil, uh, uh, Gilbert Brown, um, 
then on the offensive side, obviously Frank Winters was was a guy that you know he he doesn't know this and didn't know this at the time, but I really looked up to that guy like a mentor. Um, Mark Shamura, obviously Brett, but a lot of pros across the board, Antonio Freeman. And so they just a real special locker room, special group and and growing into uh, the left guard position with the, with the Packers and, and being able to play with guys like Chad Clifton and, and, and Mike and Marco and, and, and Mark Tauscher, um, just a special group of people. Like I, I played for three different teams and I can just say that, you know, probably the most important thing is that I'm, I'm still friends with all those guys. And we were, we had, that was the closest group I was ever with. Um, I consider, you know, Flanagan in particular is one of, one of my, you know, my best friends, you know, in and out of football. Uh, we live, we lived, Four, four houses down the street from one another in Las Vegas during the off season. I mean, we just, you know, everybody got along really well. And I think that's one of the reasons we were so good, but uh, that was a super talented team. We worked hard, we play hard. And, and, you know, the thing about, the thing about sports is if you're willing to go out there and, and work hard and kick ass and enjoy both about equally, you're going to be pretty good. And, and that group in particular, I think offensively, we really enjoyed doing those things. And I probably should mention too. You had Amon Green in the backfield too, running behind that incredible Didn't hurt. line. You mentioned you got there, and Mike Holmgren was there. Um, you've gone went through a couple coaching changes with Holmgren leaving, and then a year with Ray Rhodes and uh, Mike Sherman. What's that experience like as a player when you have these? Because uh, right now there's a bunch of coaching openings, seem to be the same jobs every year, unfortunately for those franchises. What's that experience like when you have those changes constantly occurring? I think it's a, I think it's different to each team because the leadership, the, the whoever's in charge of the helm at that moment is kind of going to dictate how that is, how the culture of the team is going to go. And so when Mike left, we still had Ron Wolf. Ron Wolf was still, you know, to all of us, Mike was the head coach, but Ron, I know mm-hmm. they have a president and, you know, it's a different, it's a you know different ownership process in Green Bay, but even back then, like we knew Ron kind of was it. And that's why Mike left, right? Mike wanted to be the general manager. Yeah. So we knew that Ron was the guy. And so we went through the, the first change, change with Ray. And Ray was a great guy. Ray liked me. I liked him. But, you know, it just didn't it didn't work out. There was a couple, I think, from a, I, I think as, as players, we didn't do a good job of taking responsibility for the leash that he gave us, right? There was just, there was, he, he gave us a lot more leash than Mike did. And we didn't do a good job of, of being responsible in that and kind of, you know, you, I think we let down that coach to some extent. And then Mike Sherman came over. He was obviously in the staff before. And, you know, Mike's a, Mike might as well be a trial lawyer. Like he's one of the sharpest guys I've ever been around. You really got to watch what you say around Mike Sherman, but he's a brilliant mind. Um, had, you know, he held everybody to an extremely high standard. Great for us as offensive linemen. He was a former offensive line coach. He was actually Mike Flanagan's coach at, at UCLA in college. So we just had that benefit of, of knowing that, we're not going to be put in bad situations. And you see that all across the board in the National Football League now, where you see a lot of offensive, you see a lot of schemes because all these offensive coordinators are getting jobs. It's not about leadership as much anymore. It's about X's and O's. And so you see a lot of guys putting in these schemes that they saw in Madden or they can draw on busy or PowerPoint that really just don't work in the real world. Like athletically, I can't get to a certain spot, but they're going to tell me to do it anyways. They're going to say, hey, we're not going to put it on you. They'll run it eight times during the game. We'll, we won't get it all eight. And then they'll blame me eight times on the film, right? We never had that problem with Mike Sherman. And you go to some different teams in the National Football League now, and especially, you know, back then, but I think, excuse me, especially now, that happens more than we'd like to admit. Um, so it, it's, it really comes down to leadership in the room, though, to answer your question. The leadership in the room is very strong with the Green Bay Packers. I think it always has been. I think that's why you don't see a, a lot of dysfunction there from year to year. Yeah, one of the 
at this time of year, I've said numerous times last year and the year before, bad teams stayed bad for a reason. I think you nailed it right on the head is they probably don't have the right leadership at top to help when you do have to make those changes. It's probably, I guess, a safe bet to make. Because you also had Bob Harlan there, too, who was mm-hmm. great team president at the time. So, Well, it's, I was I was thinking of it this way. Uh, you know, it's like I have a friend, Dr. Rick Perea. He, he, he works with multiple NFL teams, Major League Baseball teams. He's a, he's a performance psychologist. And he has a saying that you're either a culture by, this, by design or you're a culture by default. Right. And, and we, you know, we used to work together in Miami and we figured that there's six to eight teams in the National Football League that have a culture by design, meaning that they're proactively working on their culture every day. They have a very specific uh, culture that they want to get across. They communicate it transparently. They communicate it consistently with their messaging and their language systems. They have a way they do business. And those teams are the teams that are fighting for championships every year. And the rest of the teams, it's a coin flip. You might have a couple talented players here and there, but really it's it's a difficult situation to get to that next level because you really don't have a good idea of who you are. And if, if the leadership doesn't have a great idea of who they are and where they want to go, and they're not doing a good job of communicating to the players, it's going to be really tough to win consistently. And um, after Green Bay, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, Carolina, and then you went to Seattle to finish out the career. Yeah, I spent three years in Carolina. I blew my shoulder out my second year, rehabbed it my third, and then, went to Seattle trying to get a couple more years. At that point, you know, unfortunately, I'd been healthy for nine years straight. I had a couple of broken bones and whatnot, sprains, but nothing big. I blew up my shoulder. I never thought my shoulder was going to be the reason I had to stop playing, but it really affected the way I could move, affected my strength. Um, I went to Seattle trying to get a couple more years out on the West Coast from my family from, and about six games in, I blew it out again, and that was it. A lot of rehab. Well, I was a fan that was quite disappointed to see both you and – uh Marco leave because again mm-hmm. I played offensive line at high school and two years at a JUCO and offensive line is a position that I pay a lot of attention to and really enjoy watching. Um, moved on to Carolina. What's big, I guess the biggest difference between the Packer organization and the Carolina Panther organization to you, going from one to the other? Oh, leadership, easy. Yeah, just what is it's literally what we just talked about. Jerry Richardson was the owner there. He ran it. Um, I mean, there's a reason that I wasn't surprised when he was told to sell his team. Let's put it that way. It's just a completely different leadership model. Uh, the expectations for the offense with, with the head coach at the time was John Fox, a defensive guy. There were zero expectations for the offense to, to do anything more than score 17, 18 points a game. Uh, very, very difficult situation for, for guys who really expect to go out there and, and work their ass off to be as good as they can. Very difficult situation to, to thrive in. I think um, you've seen changes, obviously, when they obviously brought, a, they brought in Tepper, but you know, until really they had Cam Newton and Luke Keekley, guys that just were generationally talented that really had an impact on that franchise and the community around them. They've they've kind of struggled in mediocrity there for a reason. And, and uh, again, culture by design versus culture by default. And kind of, I guess, segue to the season that the Packers just had in the 2022 season and eight, nine. I think it's the fourth time the Packers have finished under 500. Under Rodgers, the one first being his first year as a starter. Um, and I know you, you know, you were around Favre, especially when the whole is he going to retire or not thing kind of started because I believe that was right around early 2000s. And now we see it with Rodgers now. Um, do you think that it all plays a role in that locker room at times with the guys not really knowing, you know, what's going to happen, you know, year to year with your quarterback? 
Um, I, I think people get tired of hearing the same thing over and over, regardless of what the information is. I'll say that I don't, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a player in the locker room and Aaron Rodgers is my quarterback, obviously I want him to be my quarterback as long as possible. It gives me the best chance to make, you know, for, to win, but also to you know make as much money as I possibly can, because I'm going to be better around better players. So I think that, you know, anytime, anytime that, you're you're one of the others, one of the other players, one of the anybody aside from Aaron Rodgers, essentially a role player on that team, right? So anybody else is going to just hope that he's there. Uh, we don't know the inner workings of the relationship with him and Goody, the relationship with him and Matt. I mean, at the power dynamic, you have to understand, like the power dynamic in Green Bay and in the Packers office, it has to be. It's got to be super perplexing because there's 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 not a definitive owner that can just hey, this is what this is exactly what we're doing. And Aaron Rodgers is so responsible. Like there's so many zeros on paychecks that he's directly responsible or indirectly responsible for from players to coaching staff to, to personnel. I mean, everybody, they're good. They've been good because they have him, you know, you put, you put a mediocre quarterback on a team on a lot of these teams, they're going eight and nine a lot more than they're going to go 13 and three. And so when you have that power dynamic and you're in your 17th or 18th year, whatever it is now, and you bring in a new, a young coach, coaches about your age, like it, you could see where Matt LaFleur, like Matt LaFleur has one of the best jobs in the world without a doubt, but it's also a very difficult job in the National Football League because, you know, where does his power stop and Aaron starts? That's a very, that's a gray area that I don't think even players probably have a really good idea on. And for the 2022 season, in your mind, what went wrong? Because it seemed like the, like the five-game losing streak, especially – it seemed like it was the same issues and mistakes over and over again. And you always heard the same at the press conference. We got to look at the film. We got to review it and we got to, you know, try to correct it. I know there's injuries to the offensive line early on with, um, you know, with uh, Bakhtiari's in and out of the lineup, especially early on Jenkins coming back. Um the right side of the line being an issue early on with Newman and uh, Hanson, who probably weren't quite ready to start game one, as we saw with the in the Viking game. What do you, in your mind, what went wrong this season? It looked like a team that could compete for the playoffs and more on paper, and it obviously fell flat and fell short. Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's just so many answers to that. I'm just going to try to pick two or three. The one, uh, maybe the most obvious one is I think they're a top five, maybe in a top three defense on paper. Seven first round picks, a lot of guys, you know, big contract guys, guys that you expect to have a huge impact. Um, Rashawn Gary was my kind of breakout player of the year. He was going to be a, a, he was going to be kind of a uh, underdog for for the defensive player of the year, the entire National Football League. I think he's that kind of talent. But you know, him getting so him getting hurt, him getting hurt was a problem, obviously. But even before he got hurt, they were terrible against the run. They couldn't really stop anybody not consistent, not reliable, certainly not a top five defense. So I think that's a huge, I think that's number one. That's a huge issue. Um, offensively, listen, Adam Stenovich was, Adam Stenovich did incredible things as an offensive line coach last last season in the 2021-2022 season with injured players. And and then, you know, you, you start thinking about you lost Getty, you lost Hackett. Okay, how responsible is everybody for calling plays? Because we know, or coming up with, with schemes that work because the floor ultimately calls the plays. But there was definitely a, there was definitely a production downgrade this year in the offensive line room when Adam Senevich wasn't there any longer. And now you just have to start looking at, when you look at scheme and system, 
how many things are we doing really well from a scheme standpoint, putting our good players in the best positions to be successful? You know, we can break down film. We we'll talk about that all day. We've done that on our show. Um, I don't think it's you know, they're certainly not in the Kyle Shanahan realm at all. Um, but maybe the, the most important thing is something you mentioned, Evan, is is they don't fix problems. They had problems tackling last year. They have problems tackling this year. They have problems with communication last year. They have problems with the communication this year. Right. They 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 run the ball on um, in certain in situations where it, it seems advantageous schematically from a personnel standpoint. My good on your bad. They won't run the ball. They'll throw the ball down in the red zone with goal to goal. Um, and, and all these things just kind of add up over the course of the season. There's play here, play there. It adds up. And all of a sudden you're averaging, you know, 20 for most of the season, we're averaging 17 points a game. We bumped it up to like 21.8. So you average 21 points a game. You give up 21 points a game. So you're going to be a 500 football team. Yeah. And you're talking about the defense and the tackling issue, the, you know, same thing issue. And this year it seemed to be a lot of, they play a lot of soft zone off the ball, eight, nine yards back, especially in short yard situations. And they're kind of, to me, it looks like a defense that's more reactionary than attacking. And then you see the Minnesota game where they, in the second half of the Miami game where they were getting after the offense. And then Detroit, we see it back again with they were going to play passive against Detroit. Is that a coaching issue or is that the players on the field issue or is it kind of combination of the two? Well, it's always a combination of the two, but, you know, so to your point, so in, in 21, 21, 2022, the, what the league generally like to do, if you looked at, you know, 90% of the teams in the league, they're playing a, a shell defense and they're just basically saying, you can do any, whatever you want from, you know, your 20 yard line to our 30. And then we're going to, we're going to try to stop you from scoring touchdowns. So there was a lot of bend, but don't break defenses. And a lot of that's predicated on can your safeties make tackles. And one of the things that we struggled with the year before was our safeties, particularly Savage, it wasn't making a lot of tackles. This year, you started having the same problem early on in the season. Now, when you talk about like the Minnesota game, Minnesota was like really the first game where you saw we're going to shut, we're going to take away this player. We're going to use a guy that we paid more money than any other player in his position, Jair Alexander. We're going to let him do his thing, but we're also going to, we're going to bracket coverage and take away Justin Jefferson. Like Jair wasn't singling up Justin Jefferson all game by any means. He had inside bracket coverage. They were literally facing him and double teaming on every in, in cut. And the reason they could do that, or one of the reasons they could do that, is because they're playing their third string center on the offensive line for the Minnesota Vikings. They're decimated up front. And Green Bay felt that R4 can get home against them enough times where it makes Kirk Cousins bounce around a little bit, throw some bad balls. And it, that turned out to be exactly what happened. Right? You take away that first read, the guy who's leading the league in, in receiving yards, and you're, good things are going to happen. We just haven't been able to do that. And again, to, and to back up that point with Minnesota, Minnesota runs the ball 35% of the time. They're like 10% below the league average, right? So they throw the ball 65% of the time, even though they have Dalvin Cook. So everything kind of worked that game. But you look at the rest of these games, and it was kind of the same theme all the time, right? They're, they're playing off, like you said. A lot of that has to do with they don't want to play press man. Even in this last game, they have two fourth downs, fourth and one and fourth and two. And you got your you get your DBs eight yards off the ball against the receivers, and you go, well, of course you're going to go first down. What are we doing? But that's just right now. That's just who they are, and they don't want to take the risk necessarily of losing on a deep ball. They'd rather just play that soft coverage. And you know, so every once in a while, what happens as as you know, anybody knows to play sports is like, I've it's fourth and two. Oh, I should have 
put them up and man, I forgot. I was just calling the same stuff we always call and their reaction was just to play eight yards off like we always play yards off. It doesn't make sense, but that does happen in sports. That's why it's, you know, there's a human perspective here. And it was kind of same issue a little bit with Mike Pettin too. And the final year of Pettin being in Green Bay, Matt LaFleur constantly would talk about how he they need to get more aggressive. Because again, 10, 5, 10, 12 yards off the ball. And when they did it, the defense played well. And when they didn't, they struggled. Same thing with uh, Barry going on now. Is that a head coach now issue that, you know, is he, is it more, I guess, on him that these, the defenses keep doing the same thing and seeing the same results? Or is it just maybe time for a new scheme, new coordinator? You can see that. Yeah, you could say yes to everything, right? Like Jocko Wilnick and the Navy SEAL guys, extreme ownership, right? It all, the buck stops with the guy who's in charge. And that's what you have to look at. So if you, you know, I was in, after, after I played in the league, I went out and I was in finance for a while. I came back and I was, a, I, amongst other things, I was a skill development specialist for the Miami Dolphins. And I worked with professional, I still work with NFL guys now on, on technique and kind of uh, the mindset development aspect of, of the sport. One thing that was just, just slaps you in the face Every time you go to an NFL practice, if you if you know what you're looking for, is technically we're not very good. We're not very good at blocking. We're not very good at tackling. Some teams are really good, but some teams aren't. And they don't spend a lot of time getting better at it. And so if you're a head coach that has a problem with tackling and you're not stopping or changing your practice and emphasizing tackling, not through like a handful of drills that everybody gets to jog through for three minutes, but if you're not making it a point of passion a point and a priority every single day in the way that you communicate it to your, to your athletes, then yeah, it's on you, right? We can talk about it. it's on your defensive staff. That's what you hired them for. But ultimately, the buck starts stops with you. And so, that's kind of what we talk about when when you when you look at the Green Bay Packers over the last couple of years. Even though they had good records the last couple, you know, thirteen and three, the, the three years prior to this, when they do lose, they lose for the same reasons. And this this year, they were losing for the same reasons they lost those three or four games the last couple of years. It's just the offense couldn't bail them out this year on the defensive side or the Defense couldn't bail them out with a big pick or something like that on the offensive side. But the the blocking schemes, the tackling issues, like it all keeps coming back. And it just makes you question, like, okay, are we are we are we communicating the right things in, in the meeting rooms? And the offense, the offensive issues, because obviously the offense have had issues. Um Devontae covered a lot of them off when he's here. He's just mm-hmm. that good of a receiver. Rodgers has commented that there's kind of two versions of the offense. Is the offense on paper and the version that he wants to run? Is this more of a we're seeing more of the offense, how Rodgers wants to run it, as opposed to what the offense is supposed to do? Too much combination of both? Or does the floor have to at some point say, hey, this is what we have to do. You're going to have to like it. Well, you know, now I think that's impossible. That last part that you said probably makes the most sense objectively, but it's also probably the most difficult thing to do at this stage. Um, you know, this goes back to the power dynamic struggle that you have in a place like Green Bay, where you have a four-time MVP, 37, 38-year-old quarterback, or 17 years, 17, 18 years in the league, and you bring in a young head coach. Um, I don't, I don't know if it matters if he's young or not, but you, it's almost like you're looking at him like he's a, he's a peer, you know, he's a, he's a peer. He's not a head coach, and. And from an experience standpoint, from a knowledge standpoint, all of these things like Aaron Rodgers holds all the cards. So it's hard and, and for Matt to come in and say, listen, I know this is what you want to do. And I know you want to change my stuff. And I know you want to do this. And we're going to give you a little leeway, but it's you're going to run my plays. Like to do that now 
in the aftermath of the last four years, that's a, that's an impossible ask, right? So I, for me personally, when you hear that, when you start hearing all the hand signal stuff, I just kind of brush it aside and go, well, you know, it's the responsibility of receivers to learn the hand signals. Now we don't know because I think that uh, multiple people, not just Aaron came out and said after, after that in support of Aaron said, you know, listen, that, that article was, uh, was, was overblown. And, you know, these guys are getting all the opportunities they need. Like I, I have a hard time believing that an Alan Lazar and a Randall Cobb in particular, Mercedes Lewis, I have a hard time believing that they're not helping rookies with hand signals. Like that doesn't really sit right. Does it? So that article, I don't know if I believe everything they're saying um, to have a lot of those things is not at all unique to this, this team. But if they're not written down and the, and the coaches don't know what they are, I would say that's a, that's a problem on a number of levels. And before I do let you go, I want to talk to the, the Detroit game specifically. And you talked about when they lose, they always seem to lose the same way. I saw a couple of videos you pointed out off the uh, goal-to-goal goal play and the offensive linemen just not sealing their blocks. Packers like to do a lot of inside-outside zone. In those short yardage situations, I know you played the offensive line. In those short yardage situations, is it hard for more zone guys to be able to win those short uh, goal-to-goal, one-yard-to-goal type battles? And how do you help try to improve in those situations, I guess? Yes. Okay. That's a, it's a loaded it's, – it's a complicated question because – if you look back 20 years when Alex Gibbs started getting the, like the Denver Broncos outside zone scheme, that, that zone blocking where you literally turned your chest to run to the sideline. Because of that, everybody started talking that, okay, we have man, we have zone, we have gap. And like a good team knows how to do everything. And, you know, so we always say, this is a zone team. This is a gap team. Like if you're a good team, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you know, you said the Dallas Cowboys, like both good teams, they can run anything you want, whatever you want to run, they can run. And it's a, it's a very, very simple technical thing. I mean, this, this is going to sound silly, but like this, I do this for a living. This is a very simple technical thing. When you don't gain leverage on your opponent, and specifically when you don't, when you're not able, if you're playing like guard, you have a three technique and you're trying to drive this guy off the ball and you have your stagger stance and you go step and you just come back to square and you don't gain leverage. You don't strike with your inside shoulder and you don't, like, you don't have any kind of, you're not gaining ground on this person. You're not going to move him. You know, it's 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 just it's biomechanics. You're not going to move the guy. And when you're playing against these good players and you start going sideways and they start going sideways and forward, well, you you have disadvantages. And so, you know, for me, it's about it's about how confident are you in your technique and able to come off the ball in the right manner so that you're not standing up and trying to wrestle the guy. You're actually trying to move him off the spot and, and use his momentum to take him where he doesn't want to go. But this is all technical stuff. It's not like um, it's not like Josh Myers just all of a sudden turned to a different guy. It's like technique just was worse this year than it was last year. You know, Elton Jenkins is coming back from an injury. His technique is worse last year or worse this year than it was last year. Like these things just happen. But if you want to be a better team down there, you really have to take pride in being able to move guys off the spot. And if you can't do it as a coaching staff, like if you know you guys are struggling, I think the hard part about the Lions game in particular, Evan, is that, man, I didn't even know the name of the defensive tackles for the Detroit Lions until this game. They beat there. If you were to point to one position that, that beat our team, I would say after the game, the defensive tackles, they just beat the hell out of that interior offensive line of the Green Bay Packers. But you wouldn't think that was happening given the way they've been beaten up the last couple of weeks. They played an excellent game. We didn't. And, you know, they got to live with that the rest of the offseason. And play I want to point to, 
on this game in particular is the uh, final play the Packers had the ball. Um, I just have it up on my phone. That's why I pulled while you were talking at one point. Of course, it now wants to go away. But, you know, it's, I think third and third and ten. And it was obviously – not obviously. It was a very similar play to what they tried to run against San Francisco the year prior. Detroit sent the house. And we have a linebacker who came through pretty much unblocked that mm-hmm. disrupted the play. And I'm watching it over and over trying to figure out what happened. And Dylan's to the right of the quarterback, pretty much between guard and tackle, it looks like to me. Then you have the defensive tackle kind of on the outside shoulder of Bak- – inside shoulder, I'm sorry, of Bakhtiari, two wide rushes. And then you got the two linebackers there lined up right over the guards. And Runyon Myers, great job passing one guy to the other. And there's a huge gap between center and left guard. Dylan goes to that gap. The linebacker, instead of coming through that gap, loops around and comes mm-hmm. through the right guard uh, center gap. And Dylan's standing there blocking nobody. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what is going on in this play. Is Dylan overcompensating because that's the easiest path at that point to the quarterback? Is he going that way because he's filling when Tanya goes out in his route? Or is it just, I guess, bad football play? I guess, what is your thought on that play? Uh, let me just take a quick peek at it. Okay, so here's what happens. <laughs> so Dylan does not even – Dylan's not even looking at Anzalone, okay? Okay. So you see that Myers and Runyon are going to pick up 55 on the, on the, on the prote- protection. That means that Dylan is probably looking Anzalone to, to their, uh, their, their safety, number five, okay? And for whatever reason, it looks like, and listen, we don't know the protection. So I'm spitballing here based off just what I see on tape. But you look at, you look at AJ's helmet and he looks pre-snap like he's looking at Anzalone, number 34, but he goes right past him and he's not even looking at him. He's actually looking at five because five started showing that he was, he was going to blitz. So he was the guy that pre-snap looked like he was coming. Now he came and then he bailed and and went for Tunyon, right? So Tunyon here. If you look at this, Tunyon's just going to kind of bang out and now release, get that free release. So right here, you could take the throw to Tunyon for the first down, and they've done that a ton this year where they put the tight end. Everybody's doing this now. You hip off your tight end, block the defensive end, block the second guy or whatever, just chip out. Right? They like to do it at the line of scrimmage now instead of behind them so they don't get chipped inside and hit the quarterback. But they don't even look at Anzalone here. So Anzalone is essentially a free rusher because it looks like A.J. is going his responsibilities out to safety. A.J. is a really smart player. So my guess is that they're throwing hot off Anzalone because AJ would know to go from one to two inside out otherwise. Yeah, I, like I said, it confused me. Like it's just what exactly happened. Like you said, we don't know specifics on the blocking assignments and who's supposed to do what. I did like the pass between Myers and Runyon there with the I don't know which other who that other linebacker was, but he comes and uh, Runyon passes him off to Myers and picks up his guy. At, Great on that side, but unfortunately, protection breaks down, and we saw what we saw. So, 2023 coming up. Lafleur is obviously staying around. Uh, he's hinted that Barry's sticking around. Rogers up in the air. Futures of Bakhtiari, Jones, uh, Lazard. Even though I think he hinted that he's pretty much gone. 
what does this team look like in 2023? And are they going to be a team that's going to be competing for the division title and Super Bowl? Or is it possibly going to be a step back here? I was surprised that given that I think my floor said something to the effect of we're going to leave no stone unturned when it comes to what we need to, what we need to improve on, right? Like we're going to take a look at fine to comb everything, which is kind of what we've been talking about this entire time with practice habits and whatnot. So given that it's, is it a little bit surprising that he's like, Oh yeah, we're just going to retain our entire staff and everybody's safe. Like it, it seems a little surprising to me. Um, so that's, that kind of gives you pause. Uh, when you talk about guys that are coming and going, I, listen, if you're an off, if, if let's assume Aaron Rodgers is here, anytime you have Aaron Rodgers, you're going to fight for the division title. We fight in the Super Bowl race. Um, at least you start out the season believing that. Certainly having Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs for that extra off season, they're going to be second year players. You expect them to take a giant leap forward. Um, Watson, obviously just scratching the surface of what he can do physically. There's a lot of free agents on this team, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunney in particular, two tight ends that you're going to have to figure that position out. They need to get more production out of that position. They need to get more production out of the interior offensive line. Defensively, they're probably looking for a safety. Rudy Ford's uh, up. Uh, Chris Barnes, guys like that that are kind of glue players on this team. They're all up. So that you have some guys that you're going to lose and churn from the natural cycle of, of the NFL off seasons. But they have a lot of good players that are on the roster next year. There's, a, there's 22 players on this team you know, give or take that are really solid players that are locked in for the next, for the next couple of years, I believe. So as long as, as long as we don't have to go through this, will he, won't he deal? And you have to deal with all this with Aaron and guys can just go about their business and get bigger, faster, stronger, and then head to training camp and, and execute at a really high level. You know, I'm not really worried about personnel. I'm really worried about practice habits because practice habits seem to be what continue to fail us in these games. Like guys aren't getting beat on this team because they're not good players they're getting beat because they're not very technically sound. And whenever you see that, like for me, you know, you're not getting beat on scheme. You're, you're losing more one-on-one matchups to lose these games than you are scheme. And, it, and it's kind of, I don't know, sad or depressing is the right answer, but towards the tail end of Dom Capers' tenure in Green Bay, these are the same type of habits defensively. We saw miscommunication, struggling to tackle, guys not in the right spot, talking about the scheme. And now we're starting to see it again with uh, Barry as its coordinator. How do you fix, I know you said practice habits, but it's been two coordinators in the last three that we've seen the same problem. I guess, how do you fix it? <laughs> uh, I, I have a whole 45 minute presentation if you want to hear it, but the way <laughs> the, the, the general gist of it is, listen, you're a head coach, but really you should be a director of coaching. Right, but you need to oversee everything that's going on with the development of your staff. And the, and the one thing generally in the National Football League that is frustrating, I think, as an ex-player and then a guy who was in coaching, is that we don't really, we don't really develop our athletes like we should. Like we don't do a really good job of developing them from a technical standpoint, from a football intelligence standpoint. A lot of the guys that you see are really, really good, and from an ownership decision standpoint, right? The guys that you see that are really good are either a naturally really gifted or B, are doing a lot of stuff on their own to get better. And when you talk about practice habits and, and changing, changing the conversation, you can just point to the Vikings game. What did they really change in the Vikings game? Pre -snap, the one thing that they changed is pre-snap communication. Before the snap, the safety knew that he was going to double-team Justin Jefferson, and he was going to literally turn his body and face him so Kirk Cousins wouldn't throw the ball. 
The one time they didn't do it in the entire game, the one time they didn't do that, when they ran, when they ran, when they were supposed to and they didn't, the one time they did it, Adrian Amos didn't turn his body. That was the only catch that Justin Jefferson made. Right. And, and Jerry Alexander looked at him like, dude, you didn't you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Right. So just the simple things, pre-snap communication, make it better. You want to be better at tackling, have some practice standards at, 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 at your practices about that go in line with the culture of your team. You want to be good tacklers, you want to have a culture of being a tough-nosed, disciplined football team, put some practice standards in your in your practices that demand and measure and hold you accountable for what you're trying to do. Do you touch, do you tag off with two hands every time? Do you tag and wrap with your shoulders? Every person on the team doing the same thing the way they should every single play. Because if they're not, like, it's like Archilochus, the Greek philosopher, right? You don't rise to your, you don't rise to the level of your opportunity. You fall to the level of your training. That's it. It's 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 very very simple in team sports, especially in confrontational sports. If you got a bunch of guys that are doing it right and doing it the best they can, they're going to be pretty good. If you don't, you got a problem. And usually, when athletes are involved, they are going to jump over what whatever hurdle you set for. Right. If you set the hurdle high, they're going to try to jump over it. If you set it low, they're going to just going to trip over it. You're not going to be very good. And you just got to decide what kind of team you want to be. And I think it's probably safe to say this um, off season in 2023 season, we're going to probably truly see what kind of coach Matt LaFleur is, being that we just saw the first taste of adversity he's really had since he's been a head coach. First taste of adversity. I guess we're kind of going to see what kind of coach truly head coach he is and see if he, he can correct and fix and change the things that have not been going well. So I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you coming on a uh, quick uh, minute or so left. Uh, see the shirt you have on uh, with the process to perform. If you want to share it with the viewers uh, a little bit about that and how they can, and, and how they can learn more about it. Yeah, so my company, Process to Perform, we work with athletes, aspiring athletes, work with pro athletes, so professionals down to 13-year-old soccer players, right? All sports, computational sports. We work on technical mastery, mindset development, and ownership decisions, right? And there, there's a process. To, if you want to become the best version of yourself, there's a process that you have to go through. There's things you have to learn. Unfortunately, in our systems today, at every single level, kids, a lot of really good kids fall through the cracks. A lot of really good kids don't get the right coaching. A lot of really good kids you know, don't belong to the right club or go to the wrong school and just not getting the opportunities they, that they want. And uh, with kids that are desperate to be their best, like I love working with them. So I don't care what level it's at. And that's, that's, uh, that's why I started running this company. So go to process to form perform.com to check that out and hit me up on our, uh, on my block podcast for, uh, for Packers information, myself and uh, Packers all time leading rusher Ramon green. Well, thank you so much for coming out. I appreciate it. And uh, look forward to possibly talking to you more. You got it. Thanks, Evan. And that was former Green Bay Packer offensive lineman Mike Wall. Big appreciation to him for coming on. A lot of questions I wanted to ask him. I just had a limited amount of time uh, to get it done. I was doing a training for work, and I had a 45-minute lunch to try to get as much in as I can. I probably could have talked to him for hours about football. Appreciate Mike Wall coming on. Look forward to hopefully talking to him more in the future um, regarding the NFL in general, the Packers and whatnot. And I truly did mean when I said that I was sad to see him and uh, Marco Rivera both go when uh, they were, you know, no longer Green Bay Packers. So 
there's going to be a lot to discuss on what the 2023 Packers are going to look like. There's a lot to digest still and break down what happened and what went wrong in 2022. I hope you all enjoyed uh, Mike Wall's take on his thoughts on what went wrong and how to fix it. A lot of good stuff there. And until next time, next week, uh, going to talk about the coaching openings in the NFL. Going to talk about the upcoming free agents for the Packers, who they need to try to bring back, who can go, and what the Packers need to do to correct the ship that is currently the um, season that we just um, witnessed here in Green Bay. With that said, I hope you all have a great rest of your night, and I will get back at you later.